Would y'all stand this morning as we start our worship time? Singing on this glorious day. I was buried beneath my shame. Who could carry that kind of weight? It was my turn till I met you. I was breathing, but not alive. All my failures I've tried to hide. It was my turn till I met you. You called my name. Sing of his mercy. Now your mercy has saved my soul. Now your freedom is all that I know. The old man knew Jesus when I met you. You call Lift our voices up together across the room, everyone in unison. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. I needed rescue. My sin was heavy. But chains break at the weight of your glory. I needed shelter. I was an orphan. You called me a citizen of heaven. When I was broken, you were my healer. Now your love is the air that I am breathing. I have a future, my eyes are open. Cause when you call my name, I ran out of that grave. Out of the darkness, into your glorious day. You call my name.
Amen. Amen. What a glorious day it is to be in the house of the Lord. You may at this time take a seat and we have some announcements. All right. Well, good morning, church family. Already clapping at 930. I'm happy to see you guys. Uh, my name is Will Michael. I'm the facilities and database manager here at Cypress Bible Church. Uh, we're so glad to see you all this morning. A special welcome uh, to anyone who's new or visiting for the first time. Uh, the best way to get in contact with us if you're new is to scan the QR code on the pew facing right in front of you. Uh, that way you can get more information about ministries, ask questions. If anybody needs to submit a prayer request, that's a great place to do it right there. Um, so here at Cypress Bible Church, we say you're beginning where you are, becoming more like Jesus, and we emphasize four things to kind of help us move on that. We gather in worship like you're doing right now, uh, we grow in truth, we go in mission, and we serve in love. And we have a great opportunity to serve in love. Um, this morning, we're going to be starting kids ministry in two weeks on the 11th of September, and we are excited to be able to pour into our kids and partner with our parents in that discipleship. But we need um, quite a few more volunteers right now. We need about 12 more volunteers to serve from the birth through kindergarten age and six more volunteers in the elementary age. So if you feel like you can meet that need, um, you can either scan the QR code and let us know or just go right out to the Welcome Center and uh, let Pastor Brian know that you guys can serve in that way. So thank you. Also coming up on September 18th, we'll be starting CBC 101. This will be a four-week class at the 11 o'clock hour. It'll be in this building, room 111, which is right behind that wall. Uh, it's geared towards newer people who've just started coming. It's a great way to really get connected with some other people who've just recently started coming to this church and learn more about the heartbeat, habits, and history of Cypress Bible Church. So you can sign up for that online at cypressbible.org. There'll be a button at the top of the screen that says CBC 101. So our message this morning is going to be from Dave Munsinger, our caring counseling pastor. He's starting a two-week series on true spirituality. Uh, there'll be one more song after his message, and then the elders will come up and give us a quick message concerning our lead pastor search. So thank you guys for listening to that. Kevin, back to you. Thank you, Will. Uh, just a brief note, if you're wondering why I'm up here instead of Chad. Um, Chad, his mother had surgery on Friday. He went out of town to be with her. I corresponded with him this morning, and everything went well, uh, expecting her to go home tomorrow. But please be in prayer for uh, the whole Perez family, for her continued healing and for his travels back, and uh, we expect him to be back with us next week. Uh, but it's my joy, uh, my name is Kevin, if I don't know you, uh, to... Uh, to be here to worship with you guys this week. As, as Will just said, we are going to hear a message about true spirituality. And uh, in, in preface for that, uh, hear these words from Psalm 32. This is the word of the Lord through his servant David. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. And that's you and me, right? Whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. And he can forgive that because the blood of Jesus has paid for all of us, for you and for me this morning. 
We are going to continue to sing. We're going to sing Jesus Paid It All. I would invite you to stand at this time.
do praise you for paying our debt, for covering over our sins, for this and 10,000 other things. We praise you this morning, for you are worthy.
Father, we do worship you this morning for so many things that you have done for us, but for who you are, the great creator of the universe, the sustainer, the provider of everything that we need. God, we thank you and we worship you this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. Wonderful song selections. How about we give them a little thanks? Well, the elders asked me to speak on how do we grow spiritually, and so the title of our series is True Spirituality, and yes, I am crazy enough to answer this ancient question of what true spirituality is in just 60 minutes. So let's start the roller coaster ride, shall we? Um, if you have your booklets, um, you'll be benefited from it, and um, in preparing the booklets with Ashley, um, e um, Albert Ebert, who does just a terrific job with them, there was no gold cross on it. I said, I wanted a Celtic cross. She came up with this, and then we said, well, we need to put some color on it, and she says, how's gold? I said, that would be great. She said, what shade of gold? I said, whatever you think is best. Ironically, it's Pittsburgh Steelers black and gold, so if you notice that, then you're closer to heaven because of it. Sorry, that's where I grew up. So anyhow, let's um, take a look in your booklet that you have. On the cover insert is the introduction. And in that introduction, I just wanted to address this issue of true spirituality and how is it, how is it found, how do we find it, and the answer is right there in the scripture from the Lord Jesus. He says, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So this week, we're going to take a look at that word repent. And next week, we're going to take a look at believe the good news. And both repentance and belief is, is wrapped up in the good news of Jesus Christ. And that is true spirituality. And so hopefully we can unpack this. But in the introduction there, you're going to see that um, the point being people have tried so hard to find what true spirituality is and since the 60s there's been this notion that we can find it through some sort of a yogi or a shaman or someone who sits on a mountaintop who wears really uncomfortable clothing, doesn't bathe, doesn't cut his hair and tells us uh, to live a life of asceticism uh, to don't eat steak, to only be a vegan, and then to meditate on nothing. And it hasn't really panned out for them. People who believe in Eastern uh, religions here in the U.S., is a very small, or even in the West, don't really accept that sort of a view of true spirituality because it focuses on the material world and our response to the material world, and then it tells us to meditate on nothing. There's no sense of the divine. And so it just doesn't it doesn't pan out. So how do we really find true spirituality? And let's jump into it. Um, next week I said we're going to take a look at believing the gospel. Now as we talk about the word repent, there's a lot of people who are a little upset about the word repent. We, we don't like that word. Um, the word has negative connotations. I'm a graduate of Penn State 
And this, is, this guy up here on the screen is known as the Willard Preacher. He started the year before I got on the Penn State campus. He's been there. He's still there for 40 years. This is his main job. He doesn't make a whole lot of money. And he's really a good guy. He truly is. But when I was 18, 19 years old, I would listen to him yelling at the Penn State students, calling them sinners and idolaters and fornicators and drunkards and other things. And it was hilarious for an 18-year-old boy. I would lay there on the grass there underneath the large elm trees and just laugh at the things he would say because I couldn't believe it was kind of like spiritual stand-up comedy. And over the years, he got into a lot of contention and there's, with, with students, um, but he always pointed people to Christ. And he's still doing it. And just last year when Penn State got a new president, I can't remember her name, she heard him out there, and he's, he's an institution at my, my college, and she went up to him and said, would you teach a speech communications 101 class for us in the fall? Because I have heard a lot of speeches in my life, and I have never heard someone speak with such authority and conviction on, a mat, on any subject, and if you can give that to our students, our school would be better off for it. Fascinating, isn't it? So, as we go into this, know that the word repent has a lot of negative connotations to it, and I want to dispel that for you, um, because here's the thing on repentance, is that spiritual repentance makes us more aware of God's holiness and our sinfulness, and it occurs to us as we daily repent and believe in the good news that repentance will free us from our own devices and sins. And it makes way for the power of God through the Holy Spirit to live, for us to live our lives in accordance to what Christ would have for us. So repentance is the way in which we draw closer to Jesus because we have this sin obstacle in our lives to our relationship with him. So here's the thing about this word repent. Um, it really kind of exploded in the, during the time of the Reformation in 1517, um, I think that's Joseph Fines playing Luther, and he put, Luther put up on the Wittenberg door where he was a professor of theology, put up the 95 thesis on why the Pope was wrong on the selling of indulgences and explaining everything that was wrong in the Roman Catholic Church at the time. The first article, the 95 thesis, said, when the Lord Jesus began his ministry, he intended that all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. And so he based that off of our primary text that we're looking at. When Jesus said, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Now it's also repeated very similarly in Mark chapter 4, verse 17. Here's the thing that you need to get a hold of here that, that, that Luther understood. At the time, the Pope was trying to build St. Peter's Cathedral, and so they were selling indulgences which means if you gave money to St. Peter's construction, you would be forgiven of your sins. Essentially, you could pay off your sins. Um, and, and that really got the little German monk rather upset, and he wanted to straighten things out. And here's the thing. We can look back on that and say, well, you know, that was just a pope who had a big church-building project, and he got strayed. The Roman Catholic Church is still buying and selling indulgences, and... It really is true of the human heart, your own heart, my heart, 
our own sin, one way or another, we try and escape the ramifications of our own sin. We come up with false types of repentance. And so we're going to take a look at that and kind of unpack that a little bit. And so the, the issue for us is that we need to look at Christ and what he's calling us into. So this word repent, it literally means afterthought. Okay, so it's not this big hyper-spiritual word. It simply means afterthought. It means to change your mind, your thinking, or perspective, and specifically in terms of Christianity, on your, on your sin and on yourself, and behold Christ and his goodness. So I could say I re- to my waitress today after church, I've repented of my order that I made. I see these fish tacos, but I see the fajitas over there, and I want to repent of them. I've had an afterthought, and I want you to take back my fish tacos and bring me the steak fajitas. Okay, you could use the word, that, that's how it could be used. And so, here's the thing. Romans 2, 4 says, are you misinterpreting God's generosity and mercy towards you as weakness? I mean, think about that. Do you think that you can just sin and there's no consequence for it, and therefore God's kind of weak in terms of rectifying your sin problem? And then Paul continues, don't you realize that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? So notice here how Jesus says repentance is tied up in his kingdom, in knowing him, of, of, of giving up your sins, acknowledging your sins. And then notice here how Paul says it's all out of kindness, that we're not to have a negative sense about repenting of our sins because it's all for God to draw us into his kindness that repentance is the pathway into the arms of Jesus. And it led Luther here to say, sin boldly. Now, that may shock some of you. I know we're all good evangelical Christians. He's not encouraging you to go out and sin. What he's saying is, when you sin, be bold to confess your sins. And, And see it as an opportunity for the gospel. Because when you confess your sins to the Lord... It puts you into the presence of Jesus and into his arms. And there's no safer, better place for you than to be in the loving arms and embrace of your Savior. So when you confess your sins, be bold about it because you know where you're going is into the arms of Jesus. He's called you to repent because he wants to have relationship with you. So let's try and get over this sense of thinking it's a bad thing. And repentance really... Is, is, is confessing our sins by faith, that faith is required. We are trusting and believing that God will forgive us if we confess our sins to him. Calvin had this to say. He says, these are easy words to use, but they are the things most difficult to perform. And having been a pastor now for 25 years, I can agree with that just in my own life, in the people that I know, but also in people that I've had to pastor. It's very difficult. Um, to, to practice regular repentance. So let's take a look at God's Word in full here. Remember, the Mark passage is, is the overarching. Remember, Jesus started his whole ministry. That's Luther's point. When he began his ministry, it, it, it meant this is overarching for the Christian life. When he says repent, it's not just a one-time thing. It's a lifestyle. And John really gets at it here. 
Let me pray for us um, as we um, do a deep dive into uh, the Lord's Word. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would open our hearts here. Um, help us to see your kindness in your calling to repent. Thank you for the Apostle John writing this towards the end of his life and that he was the apostle of love, and he knows love as well as all of the apostles. And he's telling us the pathway into your love is to confess our sins. So help us to believe and trust and to know that this is the loving path into your heart. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Continuing, and this is also in your work booklet. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Amen. An absolutely beautiful passage here of Scripture, and there's a number of things that we can take a look at here in this text, but what I want to do is connect the dots for you between repentance and confession. He talks a great deal about light and darkness. These are spiritual motifs. We know that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Um, we also know that in Genesis 1, God said, let there be light, and there was light. We also know that the Father is the Father of lights. And so this motif about light and darkness is all throughout the Scriptures, and it's also within the Greek world and philosophy. So when John is saying this, he's creating this motif of light from God and darkness from sin. And so this passage here is being said within this artistic framework of light and darkness. And he's going to get to the point that when we confess our sin, that our sin is really like a cockroach. That when you shine light on a cockroach, it runs to the darkness. You live in Houston, you know this well. Now, isn't that a good way of thinking about your sin, that it's a cockroach, and all you have to do is shine light on him? And you see, sin does not like the light. Sin doesn't, doesn't abound in light. When do people commit all their crimes and all their dirty deeds and all of their sins after the sun goes down? Ask any police officer. Look at any police reports. Crimes in broad daylight just, I mean, they happen, but they just simply don't happen. And so... We could delve into this light and dark theme here, but it's the backdrop for explaining how we are to confess our sins to the Lord and be in right relationship to Him out of a response to His gospel. 
So I want to look at four points here in this text and show you how they all interconnect in this, 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 this background of light and darkness, um, and that it is truly when we understand this message there in verse 5, we connect it then to it's Jesus that purifies our sins, verse 7, that this, there's a call here for repentance, and then he brings in in verses 1 and 2 the atonement of Christ. You see, this message from Mark 1.15 is the good news. The good news of what? That Jesus Christ has died for us and that he purifies us of our sins and he cleanses us of our sins. Now, some have argued that John here is writing to unbelievers. Well, you can't really say that because in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, he says, I am writing this to you who believe in Christ. No, he is writing this to all Christians and to all people everywhere, right? Because the atonement of Christ is for all people everywhere throughout the whole world. The only way to be truly spiritual, the only way to have relationship with God is through the atoning work of Christ. Christ died so that all of humanity may have right relationship with God the Father. It is his atoning work alone that makes one truly spiritual. And in John 3, he says that you have to be born again, meaning you have to be born of the Spirit. And being born of the Spirit means that you believe in Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he has come into this world, he lived his perfect life, he died for us, and he was risen from the dead, and he rose up into the heaven, and he's rightfully sitting now at God the Father's throne. And so he purifies us, and we have this need of ongoing repentance, even after we have come to believe, because we are in this condition of sin. We sin continuously. And we're going to get to that here. You see, Jesus is advocating for you with the Father right now, he says, because we are continuously sinning. Okay, all the verbs here are present tense. He's building a case in three times in verses 6, 8, and 10. He says, if we claim that we don't sin, we are deceived. We make Christ out to be a liar. Okay, that's a pretty big sin right there, to say that you don't sin. And if you say that you don't sin, it's a big sin because you're making Christ out to be a liar. Because what you're saying is, Christ's atoning work on your behalf and on behalf of the whole world isn't sufficient. So, and and that, that somehow you're absolved from it, and that you're not in need of Christ's atoning work. So that's why it's so significant here to John. Now, what you see up here on the screen is Pilgrim from Pilgrim's Progress, the great classic by John Bunyan. As he goes through his life, he's carrying this awful bag on his shoulder, and it represents all of his sins. And he tries to figure out how to get this bag off of his, this weight off of his back, and it, he doesn't come off of him until he finally goes to the cross, and he confesses his sins. Then his sins are removed from him, and he's freed from them. So the first thing that we have to realize is that we're all sinners, even after you have accepted Christ. You know, Paul in uh, Romans 6 says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Well, don't let, don't let sin reign. That means don't let sin be the king of your life. Well, guess what? Sin's still there. 
The struggle for the Christian is to not let sin have total dominion over him any longer. Because before you came to Christ, sin had total dominion over you. Now sin is indwelling you. Um, and here's just a couple funny stories on, on this. Um, I like the one from Charles Spurgeon, the great English preacher in the late 1900s. Um, he met a guy who said he didn't sin, a Christian. He was part of the perfectionistic, pietistic movement. And um, he invited him over for dinner and said, no, do tell me how you don't sin. And so the guy was elaborating on it. And during the meal, Spurgeon took his glass of water and threw it in his face. And the guy got up and cursed Spurgeon over it. And Spurgeon says, I'm so glad to see the old man is still alive in you. Uh, another story um, like that is I met a guy once, and he said that he didn't sin, and I said, could I talk to your wife, please? <laughs> and he went, ah. And then another friend of mine, BJ, who was a mentor, he was ministering to a guy on the streets of New York City, and the guy said that he doesn't sin, and, that he, and, and so BJ says, so you're perfect then? You don't sin? He goes, yes, I don't sin. I'm perfect. And so BJ stopped, he, he, st he, he grabs people on the streets of New York and says, hey, come meet a guy who's perfect. <laughs> and that guy walked off. And then my other favorite story on this is um, Chuck Swindoll, who was the president of DTS while I was at DTS, called my favorite professor um, into his office, the professor over historical theology, and he said, John, come into my office. I have these two German theologians here, and they don't understand what I mean that you can go like five, ten minutes, or even an hour without sinning. And help, you're, you're a historical theologian. Help them understand this. And Dr. Hanna said, oh, no, do tell. I'd love to hear, Chuck, how you go for an hour without sinning. Tell me. Um, so if you think that, you're deceiving yourself. And look what, look what Paul said. He says in Romans 7, he says, I am unspiritual. Okay, in, in Romans 7, it's all present active terms. This isn't him looking back on his past. That's a really bad argument um, from the language. I am, see, present tense active. I am unspiritual, said as a, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is I no longer myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. So even Paul here is saying, I'm completely corrupted by sin. And if the Apostle Paul is, who then later, at the very end of his ministry in about 62 AD, he's writing Timothy, he says, hey, this is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them, but I receive mercy. I like the King James translation. He goes, for I am the chief of sinners. Now, here's the thing, folks. If Paul is confessing that he is the chief of sinners, where does that put you and I? He wrote 13 books of the New Testament. He saw Jesus in a vision. What you will also see is that all great saints throughout history are overwhelmed by their sin. As they grow in godliness and as their ministry grows, they always realize how sinful they are, and they lament their sin. It's always the mark of the, of, of the true greats in Christianity. 
Um, so it's a lifestyle. Look at the terms that are being used. For we will have fellowship. We are to walk in the light. It, it, he purifies us. This is active, ongoing. We're called children, okay? John here is saying that the regular lifestyle of, of, of the Christian is confessing your sins, just as Jesus was saying. So that's the whole point here, that the Christian life is marked by lifestyle repentance, that as you go throughout your day, you ought to be and should be, and rightfully so, confessing your sins. Here's what he says in verse 9. He says, and let me read it to you. It's there in front of you in your booklet. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I want to look at these two clauses here. God is faithful and just. The basis of forgiveness is the justice of God. He has demonstrated his justice at Calvary. He has proved there that he does forgive sin by sacrificing his son at Calvary. Also, he is saying that his character is a just character, and for him to not do what his word says would make him to be unjust. Therefore, you can boldly, as Luther says, confess your sins to the Father and to the Son, because he will forgive you. It is the most sure thing in the universe, because he can do no other. He is just. His word and his covenant to you is that he will forgive you. So why do you hold back your confession to him? And it's because of your shame. It's because of your pride. You need to start confessing your shame and your pride. Second clause there, God will forgive and purify. You see, relational sins separate us. And so remember when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet, Peter says, oh, wash all of me. He says, no, just your feet. That's fine. Why? It's symbolizing that Peter was forgiven, but as he goes through his day, his feet get dirty. Another illustration of that would be as you um, walk on a rainy night and you approach a street light, as you get closer to that light, and the light representing Christ, you notice on your on your raincoat, all the mud that's on you, and that it needs to be washed off. But as you're in the darkness, you don't see the mud. And so as we go through our lives, we need to be made aware of our, of our sin. And I can tell you that if you've married well, your spouse will point out your sin to you. And, and they'll let you know. Okay? And, and so why do you have to admit your sin in marriage? Because there's been a transgression and it separates you. So all human relationships operate this way. If you commit a sin or a mistake, but the other person receives it as, as a sin, as a hurt, as an offense, it gets resolved if you say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Okay, see the added inflection for your own pride that you don't want to admit that you're wrong? You don't want to say you're sorry? Why is this? Because your pride is so great that you won't confess your sins, even to the person who loves you in real life, to family members. So you need to confess your sins to your Lord and to your Savior. And it needs to be daily and regular. So what to confess? Here's a great list for you. Yes, the seven deadly sins are deadly, right? If you engage in too much gluttony, like 110,000 people did last year, they overdosed in the United States. 
Okay, gluttony is a deadly sin. All of them are. And they're deadly because they cause spiritual separation between you and the Lord. But notice the bottom one is pride. Your pride is the source of all your sins because it's what Adam did. It was the sin of pride in the garden, saying, I'm not going to listen to God and I'm going to eat the apple anyway. So just know that the first sins that you need to be confessing is your pride. And then from your pride come the three sins of the flesh, lust, gluttony, and sloth, and then the three sins of the spirit, greed, envy, and wrath. Trust me, why do you get angry? Because somehow your pride has been um, made upset. You know, someone pulled in front of you, now you're angry. Why? Because that guy isn't as good as you are and doesn't be, deserve to be in front of you. That's your pride. Your anger is always because of your pride. Because somehow you're not getting your way or you're not getting to the first of the line. And so confess, go through, go through your day. And I mean, if you're staring at a girl too long, guys, confess that you lust. Now, here's what you also do with the seven deadly sins, and we're going to get to this. You ask for God to replace them with the virtue. So if you lust, ask for love. If you have wrath or anger, ask for kindness. If you ha are envious of someone, seek to bless or to work harder, right, discipline. If you are slothful, you're not doing what you should be doing, ask that you would be more disciplined in your lifestyle. Okay, so always ask, you know, if, if you're gluttonous, ask for self-control, the ability to say no to in taking substances. So ask for the virtue that's of the opposite of the vice. Replace the old motive with a new, better motive. And then you've got the Ten Commandments, right? If you're asked, if you, if you feel like the Lord is asking you to do something for Him and you decide to do something for yourself, well, guess what? You just broke the first commandment. Confess it. If your parents call you and they want you to do something for them and you don't, confess that you just broke the fifth commandment. If you blow off Sunday school class or, or going to Bible study or going to church and you don't rest on Sunday, confess that you broke the fourth commandment. You see how you can use these to guide you in your repentance. So here's what Thomas Watson said. Here is practical steps for going through it. One, admit and confess your sin. Okay, just, just admit it. Then feel sorrow for it and learn to hate your sin. Don't hate the fact that you're being punished or that you got caught. Feel sorrow that you have offended the holy God. You have offended Christ. Then commit not to repeat it and pray for God's strength and help. And then believe and accept in his forgiveness and ask that he would replace your sins with his virtues. Now, the... Um, praise band is going to come up here, and uh, we're going to sing to God's glory. And as they're coming up, I want you to know that there are great benefits to repentance. One, you keep short account of sins. You will feel closer to Christ. And when you are close to Christ and you are in His embrace and experiencing the forgiveness of the cross in your daily life, this will bring joy to you. You will know the goodness of Christ as you celebrate his renewing work of his gospel in your life. That is a great, great benefit. You will also experience his forgiveness 
and you will walk in His forgiveness. You will walk in knowing that He is just and true as He forgives us. And so there are so many great benefits to repentance. And so I would encourage you to not be afraid to show repentance and to confess your sins because your Savior Jesus waits with open, loving arms to receive your confession. And I would encourage you to know that there is nothing but love in the arms of our Savior. Do not fear Him. He knows your sin, and He invites you to Himself. And it's only when we confess our sins that the Lord Jesus is able to work on those sins and heal us of our troubles and heal us of our problems. Amen? Let us stand and sing to God's glory. That stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. 
Good morning. On August, August the 4th, we announced that the Elder Board was unable to reach a unanimous agreement to call Jeremy Kingsley as our next lead pastor. That was the first time in the history of Cypress Bible Church that a candidate came to preach to us and meet the congregation and was not called to be our next lead pastor. Many of you are wondering what happened and why. Quite simply, we did not effectively communicate to our church body the final steps of the hiring process. That included the two-week evaluation period, which is not a formality. This caused widespread confusion, and in some cases, deep hurt. We owe you clarification and an apology. Let me give some context. Of the hundreds of applicants, Jeremy came the closest to meeting the list of talents and abilities that we considered important in a lead pastor. We saw the strengths that many of you have praised. We also noticed the gaps a few of you have pointed out. Because of the talents we saw in Jeremy, we continued to seek more information with the hope that we can address the reservations a minority of the elders expressed. We agreed to invite him to Cypress Bible Church to preach and meet our people. By formally announcing Jeremy to you, we started the two-week evaluation period as specified in our church bylaws. During that period, adult members of Cypress Bible Church are encouraged to express their views to the elder board. The two-week period also allows the elders additional time to pray about what we are hearing and reflect on everything we've learned through the months-long search for a new pastor. After the two-week period, as required by the church bylaws, the elders could not reach a unanimous decision as our church bylaws require. We would like to address a couple questions that we are hearing repeatedly from church members. First, Jeremy's integrity. While the board agreed not to call Jeremy, it was not because of any moral failure or doctrinal disagreement. Indeed, we believe Jeremy to have the highest moral and ethical character, and he's fully aligned with our doctrinal statement. He's a devoted husband and father and a godly servant of our Lord and Savior. Second, like many of us, Jeremy was extremely disappointed to hear the news. But he also knew his invitation to speak to us was part of the candidacy process and not a formal call. He knew the final vote had yet to be taken. When we told him the results, he accepted the outcome with grace and had many kind words to say about the people of Cypress Bible Church. But most of all, we want to apologize to you, the members of Cypress Bible Church. 
we tried to communicate clearly throughout this search process. We fell short in the end. It was during this final step where we were no longer unanimous, as a few elders voted not to call Jeremy. We realized this decision caused pain to many of you and confusion throughout our congregation. We let you down. We own that. We own it. We apologize for the confusion we called, and we ask for your forgiveness. Question today, though, is where do we go from here? We have much to be thankful for. We are debt-free. We have a strong global outreach. We have many thriving ministries, impactful children's and students' ministries. The Holy Spirit has worked throughout our community in the recent weeks as more than a dozen people have come to faith. We are not without challenges. The elders are mindful that our attendance has been slowly declining since 2001 as our surrounding community has changed. This is typical in the life cycle of churches. However, if this trend continues over the upcoming years, our church and our ministries will be at risk. So the question is, how does CBC respond? Well, in addition to meeting the needs of exist existing church members and attenders, we need to reach others in our community who have yet to hear about the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Ultimately, how can CBC become a place where new believers can be discipled and engaged in the work of God's kingdom? In March, we assembled a next generation task force, a group of selected staff members, pastors, and members of the congregation. They've identified improvements to make it easier for people to feel welcomed and build connections and get involved in discipleship and serving. These improvements are initial steps that will take time before an overall strategy can be developed to reach the next generations. We are committed to finding a lead pastor who can lead us forward with vision, shepherd and challenge our staff and our leaders, teach and preach the word of God to a wide range of people and a wide range of spiritual maturity. On behalf of the elder board, we thank you for your prayers. We need them. We will strive to earn your trust and your support as we move forward. The elders are committed to keep you informed on a monthly basis as we pray and plan the next steps in our lead pastor search. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to any elder. Our names and numbers are in the bulletin. Let me close in prayer, please. Lord God, we ask for your guidance and wisdom as we seek our next lead pastor. Please strengthen and unite us as a church as we move forward. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? Gentlemen, we love you. The amount of pressure that's on you guys is great, and we know it. May God bless you. Be of good cheer. Christ has overcome the world. He has a solution for us. Here now the benediction.
May the love of God the Father and the grace of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you today and forevermore. Amen. You're dismissed.